As maybe many of you know, uh, the San Francisco Zen Center has three centers, and one of those centers is in the mountains in behind Big Sur. And I returned from there last uh, Friday. Um, It's a remarkable place in that you know, it's set in 130,000 acres of wilderness. Um, it's this narrow valley that gets quite warm in the summer, you know, 100 degrees. There's large rocks and natural hot springs. And then at night, it's, it's a, I'm being told it's one of the clearest skies in the, Norma, in the, uh, in the U.S., so the skies blaze with stars. Uh, and then it's this narrow valley. So I always find when I go there, it has the effects of, of the geography and the geology of the place sort of draw me right into it. You know, and then the Zendo, the meditation hall, is right in the middle. So you have like this little Buddhist village, and in the middle of the village is a meditation hall. And then I came back to the city, and on Saturday morning we had a, um, excuse me, on Saturday morning we had a ceremony to bear witness to the 60th anniversary of the dropping bombs in Hiroshima. And some of the monks from the Zen Center had joined an activity when, after the bombs were dropped in Japan, a group of monks uh, took a flame from the, where the bombs had been dropped and they did a peace walk back and forth between Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They just walked back and forth for 60 years. And then, I think it was July 16th, they brought the flame back to the U.S. on a tall three-masted ship with these billowing white sails. Which I, I don't know if this is true, but I was told this was in contrast to the ship, the black ship that took the bomb to wherever it was going to be put in a plane to be dropped. And then, the, so a group of monks were in the process of doing a peace march to Almogordo, where the bomb was made like returning the flame to the source and bringing closure, if such a thing is possible. And, and of course, returning to um, the city, I, I did what I think many of us do, is like read the paper, look at the headlines, and look at the details of Iraq and 
the war there and other activities, you know, of a similar nature. And, and having come from Tassajara, you know, somehow the way my mind met that experience, here I was thinking, um, It's a little bit like the first noble truth in shorthand. And uh, thinking that, well, 60 years ago we dropped the bomb, and then of course before that we had the Korean War, and the Second World War, and the First World War, and the Civil War, and the Hundred Years War, and, and on and on and on. You know, this was, for some reason, such things make sense to us. You know, there's apparently on a great many occasions it occurs to us that the most purposeful and appropriate response to the human condition is to start a war. was wondering um, you know the way I think about it is I, th I think of our current wars as the product of our geopolitical system our economic system our industrial military corporate enterprise this uh, extraordinary set of circumstances that we have created. And I think many of us don't like to feel like we've created it. It's more like they've created it. <laughs> um, I think otherwise. I think we've created it. You know, I, I, I think this is part of what our practice is asking of us, is to realize how profoundly and deeply interconnectedness and codependent arising and that this is our world. You know, that to whatever degree there's global warming, we're all going to participate. So what is it to bear witness and what is it to learn? You know, I remember at Zen Center, someone's, someone put up a little sign that said, life's lessons will be repeated until learned. <laughs> and I was thinking, this is a lesson that would really help to learn. <laughs> and the sooner the better. Uh, And as I watched myself, you know, read the paper, you know, and read these headlines, and and think how many times have I read the headlines, and then read through the paper, you know. 
the sports page, you know, the funnies, whatever. But whatever comes after. What do you what do you do after you have read World Tragedy? You know? What is it to not turn away? What is it to not be overwhelmed? What is it to bear witness in a way that opens our hearts to compassion and opens our mind to life's lessons that will be repeated until learned? And how do we do that inside ourselves? How do we do that with our own families, our own sangha, as well as our own society and our global village that we all live in? Um, So that was how it arose in my mind. And then the ceremony we did on Saturday morning, we went across the street from the city center, San Francisco Zen Center, city center, is a park. So we went to the park, made a little altar, Kuan Yin, the embodiment of compassion. We chanted the Metta Sutta. How do we do such a thing? How do we bear witness in a way that enables real (coughs) change? Is it possible? In my mind, they're all connected, you know, to do it personally, interpersonally with the people in our lives, and to do it globally. Are, are all of the same basic nature. You know, they all ask us to pause. They all ask us to see carefully what's going on and to see our human tendencies and to see how our human tendencies can distract us, how they can initiate a way of relating that perpetuates destructive behavior or not. So there's a wonderful poem by Pablo Neruda, which I'm sure many of you know, but I'm going to read it anyway. It's about keeping quiet. When the, when, the, when, the, when the atomic flame came into San Francisco, we did a peace walk from Pier 39 to the ballpark. Don't ask me why we walked to the ballpark, but we did. We actually walked to Willie May's statue, and I, my, my mind couldn't help but think, well, this is an interesting endeavor. <laughs> we walked to the great Bodhisattva Willie May's. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
that wasn't the reason I mentioned it. <laughs> we, we walked in silence, you know, and, and um, one of the monks who's been walking for a long time and is now walking the whole way to Almogordo in New Mexico, he had this wonderful way, he had a little drum, a wonderful way of keeping the rhythm. Boom. Boom. And just walking. How much we think doing is is the most powerful expression of our lives. You know? That that we do practice, you know. Maybe we don't do practice, maybe practice undoes us. You know, how do we how do we attend the body and breath in a way that enables us to be undone? It enables the urgency of mind and heart to settle, to come into a more easeful relationship to their own existence and to all existence. You know, how, how do we get in touch with that inner impulse to war in its more subtler forms? Something needs to be struggled against. Something needs to be stopped, to be conquered. Something needs to be separated from something else and considered inappropriate or wrong or the enemy. You know, what, 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 is, what is it to integrate? within our own being. To sit in a way that allows all the different parts of us, all the different thoughts and memories and feelings and attitudes to be held just as they are with some state of undoing rather than doing. You know, in Zen we would call this the cone of meditation or the request of how we make our effort in our city. You know, this, this, this is the refining our effort. Yeah. And certainly in the suttas, you know, there are exquisite roadmaps. You know, the five powers of awareness, the seven wings of awareness, you know, the 37 factors of awareness, you know, wonderful roadmaps. But I feel like there's a way in which it's almost like a feeling, you know. Like Shakyamuni, he started to practice and he had this great both determination and prowess. But somehow, something, he didn't get at something. You know, he accomplished great concentration. He accomplished great ability with his breath. 
and then he set it aside, and here Prop accomplished great asceticism. And then he set that aside. Actually, he didn't set it aside. It pretty much set him aside. <laughs> and then, almost by good luck, he came into a, a fundamentally different relationship to practice. Yeah. I think this is a powerful instruction for us. Yeah. And I think Pablo Neruda in this poem is, is trying to give us a feeling for what it is to practice. A feeling for what it is to sit down and sit upright and be present. Now we'll count to twelve and we'll all keep still. For once, on the face of the earth, let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for a moment and not wave our arms around so much. It would be an exotic moment. Without rush, without engines, we would all be together in a sudden strangeness. In the Vasudhi Magga, you know, kind of a road map of how to practice the path of purification. It says that when the human mind experiences a certain degree of settledness and concentration, it quivers like a fish out of water. There's, there's a way in which we have so acclimatized, so adjusted to our own struggling that it's almost like we can't even imagine not being in that state. You know, like this is our native habitat. If you put us somewhere else, it would be like a sudden strangeness, an exotic moment. So within the practicalities of practice, we could say that we create a stabilization. We create a settling, a calming that both enable the trust to be open and also enables the capacity to withstand such an exotic, strange moment. Yeah. There's a way in which we could say, well, why do we start wars? It's pretty simple. It's aggression and fear. So when we bring those into our practice, we're striving to do something and we're afraid of letting go of something. And we find that echoed out. You know, we pick up the newspaper and we read 29 Marines killed in Iraq. I think because in a way it confirms to us that the world 
is a fierce, dangerous, unpredictable place. And that we should stay safe. We should stay secure. We should stay in the company of our friends and away from our enemies. You know, one of the things I've done in my life is I grew up in Ireland and I've gone back there to try to promote peace. Um, and very quickly discover that if you want to have peace, you can't have friends and enemies. I think the same applies to each one of us. You know, that each one of us is asked to look at who has the privilege of being held inside our hearts and who do we put into exile and keep out of our hearts? Who are the chosen ones and who are the terrible ones? The people that when we think of, um, something in us hardens. This is metta practice, that no one is outside of our heart, that our heart opens and there's only inside, there is no outside. I think if we watch ourselves, we can see that process. If, if we look within the United States, you know, I think many of us, I know I certainly find it hard to think of it's all us. You know? I think of the current administration, and it's pretty hard not to think of them as them. But how could it be them? What one of them was not born of a womb? What one of them was not a toddler? had a first day at school, you know, went through puberty, had their first kiss, you know. Went off in the li- into life, excited and a little afraid. I think it's important to keep reminding ourselves it's all us. That's all. It may be our own um, environmental fragility will uh, remind us of that. Global warming affects us all. We all want clean water and clean air. I think it's a formidable challenge to live in the world and to have intimate details of all its happenings at our fingertips. You know, how exactly are we supposed to cope with that? 
And I think it's important to remember, I was looking at a photograph of a rock, and it, it was a photograph of a bomb site. But it was also within that bomb site, there were scores of people helping. You know, there were people who were, you know, moving through the rubble, helping take away the wounded. You know, I think it's important to remember that as each one of these tragedies happens, people move towards it to help, you know, day after day. Yes, there's the ferocity of the attack, but it's complemented by the scores, the hundreds of people who move towards the very same place of destruction with kindness and generosity and courage. I think it's important for us to remember that that's also part of our human nature. This is, that's also within us. Maybe, uh, maybe when we see and we touch with honesty that part of ourselves that can exclude, that can respond with aggression, maybe as we touch that it makes us have more reverence and appreciation for that part of us that can reach out and caress and soothe and be generous and kind and thoughtful. You know, there was a a Russian submarine trapped underwater and the, the navies of the world raced save them. We do that too. All of us. So to get in touch with ourselves, to see the alchemy of our own process, to see the part of ourselves that says, I have to be aggressive. I have to have inside and outside. I have to have friends and enemies. It's a necessary part of my survival. To see it, to know it. To soothe it, to reassure it that it doesn't have to be so. And to see that part of ourselves that is capable of generosity and kindness and compassion and to realize how precious and how appropriate that is always in our world. When is it not appropriate to be kind? When is it not appropriate to look upon suffering and think, I want to open my heart to suffering and meet it and hold it and soothe it?
And I think our practice is very similar to what Pablo Neruda is saying. That our practice asks us to pause. That when we see the suffering, whether it's in inside of ourselves or in our own family or in our own sangha or across the world, you know, in the Sudan or in Iraq, that we can bear witness the same way we can bear witness to the bombs that were dropped in Hiroshima. Um, a friend of mine was recently, um, she was in Tibet and they did a ceremony to bear witness to all the atrocities that the Chinese have done against the Tibetans. And then after that, she hadn't arranged this, but this is just how it happened in her life, she went to Nanking where where they did a ceremony to bear witness to all the atrocities the Japanese had caused to the Chinese. And then after that, she went to Hiroshima to bear witness to all the, to the atrocities that Americans had done to the Japanese. So this is what we do to each other. Or this is what we can do to each other. This is one of the possibilities. We can conjure up a state of heart and mind that says the most appropriate thing is violence. Or not. And this bearing witness this is part of our sitting. We sit and we bear witness to the human condition. We watch ourselves be ourselves. We watch the gross tendencies. You know, we watch when our mind just cannot let go of some track of anger. He hurt me. He offended me. And we meet it with compassion. What would you want to do? Turn it back on yourself and become filled with self-criticism and deep feeling of shame and guilt and inadequacy? How do we bear witness in a way that allows something to be undone? We don't make awareness. We become awareness by undoing the distraction, the preoccupation, the restlessness, the unrelenting doing that dissipates it, that makes it hard to see. Awareness is a natural state. It arises when the doing 
is allowed to soften. We will count to twelve and we'll all keep still. For once, on the face of this earth, let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for a moment and not wave our arms around so much. It would be an exotic moment, without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangers. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales, and the man gathering salt would look at his hurt hands. Often as we start to move towards this settling, this ease, this undoing, often there's tears, often there's sadness. Because something in us is saddened. When we keep holding our life with a struggling, when we keep shutting off, closing out, shutting off our own feelings, our own vulnerabilities, our own hurts, closing off the pain and suffering of others. As we start to settle, we come into a deeper relationship to those activities. To meet them, to hold them with compassion. To bear witness. Just the same way we bear witness to Hiroshima. It happened. It's awful that it happened. But let's learn. Let's not do it again. Let's change our ways. Let's be kind instead of cruel. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors, would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade doing nothing. What I want would not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it's about. I have no truck with death. So this settling, it's not about shutting out, cutting off our experience, our humanness. In fact, it's opening up to it. Personally and collectively. And I think in these times, more so, maybe, than ever before. Because we have the blessing and the curse of the internet. (laughs) You could could find the news in any part of the world you want in a moment. You can get all the gory details. 
how will we not be overwhelmed? How will we not just grind in a sea of suffering? How will we not just simply flip to the next page in the newspaper and see if there's anything more entertaining? Let's face it, the war in Iraq is boring. Killing, killing, killing. So this shutting off, personally, interpersonally, in our own society, in our world. This, this effort that this is asking of us, it's, it's a different effort from doing. I will follow my breath. I will practice. I will be whatever the heck we think we're going to be. Whatever the heck we think practice is going to bring forth for us. You know, when I was at Tansahara, um, several years ago we had some big oaks and they spread a wonderful shade. And they died. They just died of old age. Um, and so we wanted some new oaks, right? I mean, why not? They were wonderful. And then we discovered that some little volunteers had come up where the other oaks were. And we were delighted and deeply appreciative of the bounty of nature. But they died. And then someone who knew about these things said to me, um, well, what might have happened was that in nature, in, an, in, a, in a sort of developed ecology, there would be bushes. And when the trees were small and vulnerable, they would be shaded from the harsh sun by the bushes. We call them nursing bushes. And you didn't have any nursing bushes, you know. And I was thinking um, how easy it is for us as humans. We have a single agenda, you know. I will follow my breath. I will do my practice, and everything will be fine. You know? And and we tend to forget it's a profoundly interconnected life. Iraq is our practice. Hiroshima is our practice. The whales in the ocean are our practice. Yeah. Everything, everyone, because it's all interconnected.
And of course, it's impossible to hold such a notion unless we can hold it with kindness and compassion. Any other way will just be intolerable. Compassion has its own strength. It has its own durability. It, it, it casts the world in a light that gives us guidance. This is what it is to bear witness. You know? This is what it is to sit and practice mindfulness. It's to see the nature of things. What do we do when we sit? We relive old stories of interactions with others. We imagine new stories with interactions of others. Or we run a dialogue with someone who we think ought to be here listening. We love to be in connection. That's why there's so many cell phones. We have things to say to each other. (laughs) And we need to have immediate access to do it. (laughs) But how do we how do we refine our effort? How does our effort how can our effort be based on this wonderful kind of pausing? that bears witness and allows our humanness to be held and allows the virtuous qualities of our humanness, our kindness, our compassion, to be brought forth. And our aggressions, to be held with wisdom. Of course we want to be safe. Of course we want to be secure. We want to be free from harm. Of course we do. But maybe war is not the way. What I would not want to be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it's about. I have no truck with death. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt the sadness of never understanding ourselves or of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can reach us as when everything seems dead but later proves to be alive. Now, I'll count to twelve, and you can keep quiet, and I will go. And so my hope is that these thoughts that I've tried to present offer you pause, a hopeful pause, a pause 
that allows you to look at the headlines in the paper and not just wince. That allows you to sit with your own mind with a deep patience. A deep patience that says, this is the human condition. This is it. It's asking for understanding and compassion. That reminds us that distraction and denial really don't serve us. We'll just have more and more and more wars with ourselves, with each other, and with the whole world. So, um, So this bearing witness, it's really the heart of our practice. Quite organically, you know, sometimes we say, oh, well then what is it to take practice into the real world? It's as we just bear witness to the human condition. That's as real a world as you can get. And taking it into action is just as natural as standing up, putting on your shoes, and moving to the next part of your life. So please, I'll, I'll end by reading the whole poem the whole way through. Now we'll count to twelve, and we'll all keep still. For once, on the face of this earth, let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for a moment and not wave our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment, without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales. And the man gathering salt would look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors, would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade, doing nothing. What I want would not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it's about. I have no truck with death. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt the sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us as when everything seems dead and later proves to be alive. And now I'll count to twelve and you keep quiet and I will go. Thank you.